All right, greetings once again. It's another Monday morning. We are back here at Free Money Free looking at the book of Acts. So Acts 13, 13 to 52, certainly quite a bit of ground to cover. Uh, you know, while I'm thinking of it here, if you have any questions uh, that you're wanting, we've, we've actually got two now. So we're up to two questions. I think maybe in two weeks, we'll maybe aim for our first podcast doing question and answer. Um, so you have two more weeks to get your questions in, and then from there, uh, we'll just see what happens. Maybe we'll do it every couple months. We'll, we'll just see how many questions we get in the next two weeks. So just wanted to put that out there first, uh, but then let's let's talk about Acts 13, 13 to 52. It's Paul's first recorded sermon in the book of Acts. Certainly he's spoken before in the book of Acts. We're not saying that. Uh, and I think he's probably actually preached on other occasions as well. Acts 9 talks about him proclaiming the word. But it's the first extended sermon that we have of Paul's in the book of Acts. He's speaking in Pisidian Antioch. And there's, there's quite a bit of content. So uh, all that to say, as usual, Jim, I think it's good to just start with how do we feel like God was impacting us as we, we work through this. So what, what were your thoughts as you thought about Acts 13, 13, 52, now that we've had 40 or 24 hours to kind of rethink it? Yeah, I think one of the things we did in our GCG last night was one of the questions that you had for the scripture discussion guide was to read the sermon straight through, right? Yep. And, um, which I know cause the way you kind of broke things up. Yeah. It's always hard to know how to do that in a right. service, but I did break it up in the service, but we did that last night in GCG also where right. we read through 13 to 52 altogether. Right. And so to read that sermon all in one setting is like, I think it just really impacted me to think of just how Jesus, uh, centered Paul was. Yeah. Right. Because that's the whole point of his sermon was leading up to pointing to seeing Jesus and just like, wow, you know, like that was, I mean, even your, the last question that you had was like, what is the takeaway? What is your application? Yeah. Like, man, I want to be more, I want to be more Jesus centric in my life. Right. Yeah. Like, I think obviously when I do my devotion time, I think a lot about Jesus, but then I tend to leave him yeah, uh, on the table when I get up to go. And, uh, I don't think Paul worked that way. Right. Uh, and to think about, man, how do I carry Jesus with me throughout the day? Because I don't do that very well. Yeah. I don't carry Jesus well when I get just busy with the all the responsibilities I have to do in a day or all the family things that need to be tended to. And um, I, I wish, like, that's my heart's desire is to be more Jesus-centric. Like, to think about Jesus... Uh, when I am going throughout my day, right? Yeah. Uh, and when stressful situations come up or when the busyness gets going is to just think about Jesus in those moments too. Yeah, that's good. I mean, there's no doubt that in this sermon, Paul's focus is on Christ. Right. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, I, I want to return to his sermon here in a little bit. I think for me, the biggest takeaway, actually, I, I thought a lot about the response of the crowd um, in particular, I was thinking about verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath or verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, I think sometimes, I don't know. I mean, I talked about this yesterday in the sermon, but we, we become so familiar with the good news that we forget how good it is. And, um, you know, I think it's amazing grace. It talks about the hour we first believed and in that hour we first believed, if, if you were genuinely lost, and then in that moment you realize you're saved, like in that hour you first believed, do you realize how good the good news is? But I think it's easy to lose sight of that over time. And um, 
to lose urgency for other people because you forget like this is really good news to the point that they're begging like we have to hear more about this like you you've got to come back and tell us next Sunday because we need to understand this more I mean you, you see that begging there and then you think about the general indifference that we have as a culture towards Christ and even me personally at times like I I know the facts about the good news and and you know I feel confident I've placed my faith in Christ and yet like my fervor for it often wanes and it's it's as if I've just forgotten this is really good news. And and so I think that's the thing I thought about most as I was preparing this last week that Christ dying on the cross for our sins is not something we should ever grow tired of. Um nor should we ever move beyond as if we've got this figured out. It it should be every time we hear it there should be a part of us that's just rejoicing and thing this this is really good news. Um, so I think that was the thing that stuck out to me the most. Um, you know, it's interesting to see, you know, when you take um, verse 42 that you mentioned in 48, and then you contrast that with 50, right? But the Jews in, uh, sure. incited the devout women in standing, high standing and the leading men in the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district that the exact same message created these two polar opposite responses, right? Yeah. I mean, in one, you know, at one end you have people that are rejoicing and glorifying God. They're ecstatic and they're thankful. And you got another crowd that is so mad that they get other people riled up so that they can drive them out of town. Yeah. Like to know that this is Paul preaching, right? You know, this isn't me. This is Paul preaching. And to yeah. sit there go, oh, wow. Paul did have a lot of great responses, but Paul, as great as he was and as a wonderful preacher as he is, still had opposition come against him at the same time. Yeah. So why do I think any differently for me? Yeah. So I guess a follow-up question I would just ask is, like, if 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 it is good news, then why, why is there opposition? Why do people respond this way? Like, wh- how do we make sense of that? Like from a worldview standpoint, from a biblical theology standpoint, like how do we make sense of the fact that Paul is preaching this message, which is at least in our estimation, inarguably good news. And yet there's people who hate the message and they want to drive him out. Like, why is that? And, and what do we make of that? Yeah. Well, even like, I mean, there's a little bit of a hint of that in, in Paul's sermon, right? When he's talking about, um, very early on in his sermon. Oh, I can't find it. It was right like away. verse 27. Is that what you're thinking of? How they drove for those who live in Jerusalem, the rulers, because they did not recognize nor understand the utterance of the prophets. Which right. Were but was it talking about where he put up with them in the wilderness? Oh yeah. That's all the way 18, back in 18. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. The hearts of the people haven't changed over thousands of years. Right. Yeah. Um, by the way, I mean, that that is a kind of a, a it's it's sad that God put up with them, right? Like, I mean, it, it does speak to their heart condition, right? Like I, that that phrase actually stuck out to me. He put up with them in the wilderness, like, right? You know, you put up with things that you're like, ugh, like, and there is kind of a sense like they were just in rebellion, right? Like, but yeah, to your point, they were they were nothing really changed in a thousand years, right? They're still rejecting, yeah, God. They're rejecting Jesus. You know what it says in John: the men love darkness rather than light. Yeah. Right. Um, that shows, you know, I mean, Romans, right. We were once enemies of God. Yeah. Uh, this is, and this, that's just this playing itself out in real life. Uh, and I think that what happens is, is 
we all like to be gods of our own lives, right? Yeah. Um, and the message of Jesus threatens that. And I think that when that gets threatened, we don't want to, we don't want to lose that, right? Yeah. The idea that we're the master and commander of our own fate is right. is one that if we're if we're honest, most of us cherish, right? That we control, like, and so it's by us doing things. That's how we're right with God, rather than by what Jesus did. Correct. And so I think, I mean, like when I when I think about this idea, well, why did they oppose it? I I, I was thinking of First Corinthians two. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Like, mm-hmm. if you're natural bent... Okay, so yesterday I talked about how we have the world working against us, we have Satan working against us, we have our own sin. So let's just take our sin for a second. If your own bent is to think, well, I can do this on my own, I don't need rescued, I've, I've got this, I'm okay, Like then the message of the cross is going to be offensive to you. Right. And that's setting aside the spiritual warfare components and the worldly opposition to it, right? Like the, the, the world around us and Satan and our own sin are all trying to convince us we don't really need a Savior. And so for those reasons, we are going to be blind to the truth and and. You know, verse 48, I didn't talk about it a ton yesterday, but it's in there, and it's it's pretty straightforward, right? The Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Yeah, I was going to go there. You know, I, I think some people might be uncomfortable with that language, that, right. that God is the one who points there. But I, I think, you're first of all, you, you got to deal with that text itself, let alone the other passages that talk about the same type of thing. Like, at the end of the day, and I think this is what Second Corinthians is getting at, Unless the Spirit of God opens a person's eyes, right. they're not going to be able to discern spiritual truth. Right. And so why is it that some oppose and some accept? Well, the reason why some accept is the grace of God, that, that God opens their eyes. Now, don't mishear me here. Like, obviously, even in the context of this sermon, Paul still calls for a response. Correct. He doesn't, like in, in verse 40, he says, beware, right? He gives this warning. He's like, you need to not, you need to listen to this. You need to make sure you respond. He doesn't say, well, you know, I, some of you will respond, some of you won't, got a point, do with that what you may. That's not what he says. Instead, he says, respond. He, he encourages them to respond. And so there is this legitimate choice that we make. However, like it's God who has to open our eyes to understand that. And so, you know, why, why is it that some accept joyfully and others oppose? Well, the grace of God is why some accept, and it's our sinful nature and the spiritual warfare around us and the world testifying against us that makes others oppose it. I think that's how I would answer that question. And, and we see that on full display in this passage, right? That there are some who receive it and they beg to hear more, and there are others who hate the message and they want to drive the disciples out. Well, the truth of the reality is, is and as many were appointed to eternal life believed, if that did not happen, verse 50 would be true of all the people. Right. right. All the people are going to oppose the message of Christ. All the people are going to reject Paul and Barnabas, and all the people are going to want to persecute him. It is only because God works in the hearts of people in order to believe that they are able to believe. Everybody yeah. is going to reject him at that point. Yeah. If that doesn't happen... Including if, us. If that doesn't we would happen... Too. Everybody rejects him. So the reality is, it is a grace yep. that God has appointed some to believe to eternal life. Because if that doesn't happen, nobody gets saved because we're dead in our sins. We are going to just keep running away from him and we're continue to be enemies of him. Yeah. 
Um, and so that's actually good news uh, because it would all be bad news right. if it weren't for that. Right, because we're all running from him as fast as we can. We don't want anything to do with him. Right. Only God's grace right. snatches us back right. and allows us to be saved. Right, you and I would be part of that crowd in verse 50. No question. I mean, all of us would be part of that right, crowd. Right, because of our sinful nature. Yep. Yep. Yep, because there's nothing but God that is going to work in us to turn us to God. Yeah. Because at that point, anything else becomes a work. And that totally goes against what the gospel is, which is Christ working in us. Yeah, so some some would say, well, then what's the point of evangelism, right? If God's the one who appoints, like, what's the point of evangelism? That's a critique that's often made. If God sure. is sovereign, then... And, right. You know, doesn't that thwart, doesn't salvation. doesn't that thwart missions? Doesn't that doesn't that discourage evangelism? What would be your response to that? Uh, my responses would be a couple of things. One, Jesus commands us to go. This okay. is so that's his plan. His plan wasn't, hey, I'm sovereign over salvation, so I'm just going to work it all out, and you guys just sit back and watch me do my sure. thing. It's not what he said. He said that we are supposed to go. Yep. and proclaim and preach the good news of the gospel. So that's his plan. That's his method. And so we are obedient to his plan and his method and do what he calls us to do. And the reality is, um, what good would it be to go and preach and think it was all up to me to save people? Right. Because if that it takes the, the pressure off, actually, to realize like it's not my words that are going to save someone. Right. Because you're going to second guess everything. Yeah. You're going to think, I could have done it better. I could have been more clear if i would just use these words or these verses or these phrases that would have made the difference because it's all dependent upon you and it's not i mean we're just told to plant the seed and god causes it to grow right and so you're right it takes the pressure off um because at the end of the day it it's what he does and then, then he gets the glory for it i don't get the glory for it right um I think we, for whatever reason, and I get it actually, like we want to make human responsibility and divine sovereignty opposed to each other, as if the two can't exist at the same time. And the reason why I say I get that is because it is hard to understand how those two things There's are... There's a tension. There is a tension, right? It's hard to see how those two things can exist at the same time, but the Bible seems to teach both. Um, and so, you know, I think there is a, a responsibility that we have, and then God is working. Um, so as it relates to evangelism, I would just say this, God ordains the means as well as the ends. What I mean by that is the end is salvation, but he also ordains the mean, the way that which happens. So I'll give my own salvation as an example. Um, you know, I, I was saved in by the grace of God in 1999 through the, the faithful sharing of a guy named Mark Walter. So, um, you know, I think it was God's grace in the end that I was rescued, right? But I also think, so that's the end. But I would say also that he ordained the means. And the means was that Mark Walter would be faithful and he would do what God called him to do, which is to share the gospel with me. Um, so I don't think that my salvation was independent of that, right? It was like the, the means were ordained as much as the ends. Right. And so Mark Walters was faith, Mark Walter was faithful to share Christ with me. He, he carried out the responsibility that he was given, go therefore make disciples. And then God used that. And that was part of his plan. In the same way, I would say, you know, it's possible your neighbor next door, I'm, I'm just referring to a generic neighbor of whoever's listening here, um, is been appointed to eternal life. But it's also possible that you are the means by which that's going to happen. 
And so that actually, I think that's exciting because every time you walk into a conversation, you think, well, this might be the time that God has set aside for this person to be rescued. Even if they are hard, even if they are far away, like if God has ordained for that to happen, like then there's, there's going to be something amazing that's going to happen. And so that gives us confidence and it does take the pressure off us. Like we're not the ones who rescue people. Even, even this passage is an encouragement to us, right? Sometimes you sow the seed and some people respond by saying, tell us more. Like we need to hear more about this and other people will try to get you. Um, but that doesn't mean that Paul was being a bad preacher. Right. Um, in fact, in this passage, it's clear he was being a good preacher, right? Like God was using him in mighty ways. But the response, that's up to God. And so we have to make a distinction maybe between our like our work in evangelism and God's work, although they're working together, right? Like our work in evangelism is sow the seed. God's work is to make it grow. Um, right. Now, again, I don't want to separate those out too much as if do your part. Now, God does his part. That's not what I'm talking about. They, they work in concert together. But I think what we have to realize is our job is just to be faithfully sowing the seed and then let God make it grow. Like that's, that's the way evangelism works, I think. And so if anything, this idea that God is sovereign should encourage us to be more evangelistic and more missions-minded than a person who doesn't believe that. Right. Do you think it's interesting to read, like if you read Romans 9, and that's a very high sovereignty chapter of the Bible. And then Paul follows up that high sovereignty chapter in the Bible with Romans 10, which tells us to go and proclaim the gospel. Yeah, that's good connection. So so Paul has no problem holding these two things together, that he believes, yeah, God is sovereign in salvation, and yet we are commanded to go and preach. How are they going to know unless we go and preach and tell? So, So Paul had no problem holding both of those things together. I think Paul saw that, you know, just because God knows who his people are doesn't mean we do. And yeah. so we go and we just be faithful to what God has called us to do. Right. And and I would say this tension between human responsibility and God's sovereignty is even found in this passage. There's a really interesting parallel here in verse 46 and then in verse 48. Um, because both use the word eternal life. So verse 46, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Right. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. So notice that use of eternal life, right? He, and he says, You thrust it aside. Right. You judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Right. Now in verse 48, he's going to use eternal life again. No, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Right. right? So in verse 46, he doesn't say, now, you weren't appointed for eternal life. Tough luck, guys. Right. No, he says, you, you made the decision. Right. You judged yourselves unworthy. Right. You thrust yourself away from eternal life. Right. But then in verse 48, he, he comes at it from God's sovereignty angle. So I, again, I think we feel this tension because we feel like there's a contradiction between human responsibility, making real choices, and God's sovereignty. Right. But it's not a contradiction. It's just a paradox, which is a seeming contradiction. Because right. clearly, even in this passage, we'd have to say both things are held up as true. There is human responsibility. They're making a choice. At the same time, God is appointing. And how those two work together is a bit of a mystery. That's the thing about paradoxes. They're mysterious. Right. And I think the interesting thing is that is the pattern that you consistently see, though, going through Scripture, right? is that we are always responsible for rejecting absolutely the message right and god is always responsible for the saving work that takes place in our lives yeah i, th- I think you know if a person ends up in hell is always because of their own choice right um because they right. chose not to, to follow the message. The, they chose to reject the right. message right or they right. chose not to 
um, not to respond. Right. Um, because the, the righteousness and justice of God is at stake, right? Right. Because there's no one that's going to say, hey, you sent me to hell uh, wrongly. Right. Because that does unravel the justice of God. So if we really hold that God is just and righteous in everything that he does, every decision that he makes will be so as well. Yeah. No, agreed. So let's let's shift gears here for a little bit. I want to come back to the sermon for a second. Um, why why do you think why does Paul take this extended journey back through history and right. through the Old Testament to make his point here? What's he, what's he doing? You know, I think he's probably doing a couple of things here at least. I think one he is pointing to the people, kind of like what Stephen did. The people have continually rejected God. Yeah, you know, in the wilderness with Saul with the prophets, you know, they've continually rejected the message of God and they're going to reject Jesus again. So it's, I think that's one of the things that he's doing. But I think the other thing that he is doing is he is showing the people here, are all the ways that you thought you could try to save yourself. You know, you tried to save yourself by keeping the law. You failed. Look at all these things that you've done that you tried to um, do and you failed. And yet here's Jesus. He succeeded where you failed. And that's why you need something outside yourself to save you because you cannot save yourself. Right. You need Christ to save you to do the work that you couldn't do. Right. Yeah, I think... Those are a couple of thoughts I had about No, that's good. And I think someone pointed this out last night like in in our gospel community. I thought this was really helpful. They talked about how in Acts 17, when Paul is preaching... Uh, at Mars Hill or in front of the Areopagus. I don't know if you, how you say that exactly, but um, he takes a totally different tactic. Right. We talked he, about this last night. He night, doesn't right? go through like the Old Testament history. Right. He doesn't quote Old Testament scriptures. Nope. He takes a much different tactic. So some yep. of it is contextual here. Yep. I think we have to say like he's preaching to particular audience. And so, right. you know, if we were going out on the street today to preach, I'm not sure how helpful it would be to walk through the history of Israel and the land and all of that with the common person in Fremont. Right. Um, but like, I do think it is important to keep in mind that there is a history and that God's always been working towards this, and that maybe does have relevance even for the person in Fremont, Nebraska. They, all of history has been leading up to this point where um, Christ is seen as who he is, which is the Messiah. Excuse me. One of the things that struck me, though, I'll, I'll say this. Like, I don't think this is a main point of Paul's sermon. Um, but I was struck by the, he, he mentions years several times. He talks about how uh, he put up with them for 40 years in the wilderness. He talks about all this took place over 450 years. He talks about Saul um, being a king for 40 years. And like the, as I started thinking about all that, I was just thinking God's, God's working in history takes place over really large swaths of time. And I think sometimes we get caught up so much in the here and now that we just think, uh, you know, we, we hear about the news, oh, this is happening in Ukraine or whatever. And we think, oh, the world's falling apart. Like, oh, you know, like everything is like this. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying it's not a serious deal. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, I think we sometimes forget that God works in really large sections of time and that his plan unfolds over really long periods sometimes. And we get so caught up in the here and now that we forget that, that we forget this was 450 years. Like, that's crazy. That's a super long amount of time. 
the United States is not even close to that in terms, we're not even 300 years old as a nation, right? And for 450 years, this was happening. Like, I, I think we just sometimes get caught up in recency bias and we just think, oh, what's happening now is the most important thing to happen ever and, and forget that God is just working in a really long, patient, slow way. And, and so I, I, don't, I don't think that was the point of Paul's sermon. That was just something that stuck out to me is, is sometimes we just need to realize God is painting on this, this right. long timeline that we don't see, and we just have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Because the point of all of that, I think, is to say, even back through those 450 years, all of it was leading up to Christ. In the same way, whatever trauma we may be going through now, like as, as a nation or whatever, as a world, like... It's painting towards his long, long picture. Whatever, and, and maybe he will come back this year. I don't know. But maybe it'll be another thousand years. Like the point is he's working and he's bringing it to conclusion. And so we just need to trust that he has a plan that he's unfolding. That, that was another thing that stuck out to me in this sermon. That's good. All right. That's all I got today. You got anything else? That sounds good. All it's right. Good. It was a good passage this week. Yeah, a lot going on for sure, um, but hopefully hopefully some things that were helpful for you. So Acts 14, uh, actually all of the chapter next week. Uh, although that sounds really long, it's actually much shorter than yesterday's sermon. So Acts 14 for next week, Acts 14, 1 to 28. A lot going on. There's a lot going on. chapter. And, and kind of like a lot of different stuff going on. So right. it'll, it'll be interesting to cover all that in one week. Uh, looking forward to that. Encourage you to go ahead and read ahead if you're listening uh, and read Acts 14, 1 to 28 to be prepared for the preaching of the word this Sunday. Until then, though, have a great week and we'll catch you next week.